Welcome to Ask an Artist. I'm Laura Boswell. And I'm Peter Keegan. And as always, we have the talented Mr B on sound. Well, we've been away and taking a little break in our studios. We've been really enjoying replaying some of our favourite episodes. And this one that we're going to play this week is apparently one of yours too, because it's our third most listened to episode. And it's the episode on finding your style. So that is something we get asked about a lot. How does an artist find their unique voice, their own personal style that sets them apart from everybody else and makes their work their own? So I think we've got some very practical hints and tips about how to discover your personal style rather than artificially creating it, because it's something that has to be true to you. So we're going to look at the whole idea of style and how to develop one that suits you and has integrity and relies on your passion rather than something you think you ought to develop. So, Peter, we've got quite a lot to cover in that episode, haven't we? I think you've you've covered that all beautifully. <laughs> I don't know what, what else to add. I mean, it's a, I sometimes still feel as an artist, I'm still finding my style because I think it's something that is sort of an ongoing evolution. I think there is sort of this misconception that you'll kind of, you know, you chip away, you learn, you learn and ping, you found your style. And, and gosh, I wish that was the case. And if we look back at many artists of the past and present, you can see that it is a journey of the way that they have you know, produced and evolved their work. So we'll talk about that. But as you say, ways that will help clarify the way you work, why you do it, and that identity of the artwork to you as an artist. But before we get into that, Laura, you're going to splash some welcome colour into the podcast. I certainly am. And while we're talking about personal style, I'm not a huge fan of purple. There's a famous poem that starts, when I am an old woman, I shall wear purple. Well, when I'm an old woman, I shall still be stuck with a tiny tube of purple printing ink I bought in a weak (laughs) moment a decade or so ago, and it's still barely touched. But purple does have its place in a landscape. I mean, anybody who's looked at a distant hill will know that. And a lot of my work's up in Scotland. And I have to say, I do avoid heather season up in Scotland, but there are still purples there. So I do use purple, but I get it in a kind of roundabout way. So I've got a tube of Michael Harding's Cadmium Red Deep. So it's the deepest hue in his Cadmium range. And it's a red, but it has this sort of gorgeous blueiness to it. And when you dilute it to a wash, it has that kind of purpley haziness about it in a way that doesn't offend me like that tube of purple ink. <laughs> so it's it's a lovely colour for that distancey feel, but it's also beautiful for late summer evening skies if it's just a very, very delicate wash. So if we change the poem and made it, when I am an old woman, I shall wear cadmium red deep, then I'd be really up for that. <laughs> no, I, I think, I, I don't know about you, I love purple. It's a gorgeous <laughs> colour. I often put it in my you know, my still lives and, and my landscapes, particularly very good for shadows, I find. Laura doesn't agree, but I think it's a, a gorgeous colour. And if you want to discover the gorgeous range of purples and this cadmium red deep by Michael Harding and to find a retailer near you, simply visit his website at michaelharding.co.uk. 
So you can see that Peter and I have got very different styles in some respects. And if you want to discover your own, have a listen to our episode. Hi, I'm Laura Boswell. And I'm Peter Keegan. And there's the talented Mr B on sound. Do you want to take the leap and become a working artist, the sort that actually gets to make art and pay bills at the same time? We're both that sort of artist and we're going to use our expertise to help you become one too. So there comes a point in the development of any artist and maker's journey when the question of style comes up. Am I being original? Am I copying someone else's way of working? How do I find my authentic voice and original style? In this week's episode, we'll discuss the elusive topic of style and how to find it and how to develop it. So, Peter, do you think that uh, you're born having style or is it something that develops? How did you find your style? I was born with style, Laura, you know that. (laughs) Yeah, well, it kind of goes without saying. Artistic style, I don't know. I think there's always going to be uh, an inkling that you have uh, as a creative person. You're going to be curious about, you know, a, a material or a medium or a genre of way of working. But I don't think that means you have a style, you have a curiosity but I think if you indulge that curiosity and delve into your that interest, then something will start to well, emerge. It's, it's really all a matter of developing your voice, isn't it? And yeah. I think a lot of that springs from being curious. And I, when I started making prints again, I was actively looking at the way I was working and at other artists and constantly questioning what it was that appealed to me and why it appealed. And I found that really helpful. Were you were you trying to find a style? I mean, were you consciously looking for um, the, a style? Or No, I think it wasn't so much that I was looking to find a style. I think it's it's a very careful path you have to tread. I mean, my mum always used to use the word shtick for uh, an artist who maybe found a skill and just turned out work using that skill. So say they'd they'd mastered reflections in puddles in the street. Yeah. yeah. And then you just get endless, endless pictures doing the same thing over and over. Bit of a one-trick pony sort of style. Yeah. No, I think I'm the same. When I started working uh, as a painter... I was I was inspired by ways of pushing paint around stylistic, mm. but I, I I was I was I was experimenting with them. I was trying them. I was sort of tasting them. So I was copying them and giving them a go, but not sort of passing off this style as my own. I was sort of delving into it, took what I wanted from it, and then sort of stepped back and go right. How is that going to help mm. me in my own art? Uh, sort so of again, you're analysing. Yeah, looking at it kind of objectively, mm. not just going right. I'm going to copy this style now, and this is me. You know, I'm, I'm sort of the style needed to find me, not mm. the other way around. You know, I'm not seeking it. It's got to find you working. And also, I think it has to be something that is moving forward constantly. You know, it's something uh, your style will only develop as as a sort of adjunct to you developing yeah. as an artist. So it's moving forward, isn't it? It's yeah, it'll always. Static yeah, and, and, and it'll always, I suppose, as a result, it'll always change. It's yeah. not going to just be, you know, one style and then you're going to be that for the rest of your life. You will organically grow and change. I mean, if you look at some of the greatest artists that mm. there have ever been, the, the way they started out is very different from the very end of their career. Um, I mean, Picasso springs to mind perfectly. You know, look at his uh, sure. paintings in his 20s sure. and 30s. They were sort of realistic narrative slice of life religious paintings. And then he turned into his rose and blue period and then cubism. And then mm. he went from painting to sculpture and ceramics. You know, that's a huge timeline. 
sign of, of a development. It is, but it's it's a traceable journey, isn't yeah. it? You can see a development of things he's passionate about, things he's interested in. It's not just flitting from thing to thing as you see something you like, you pick it up and try it. So I think it's very important when you are looking for your own voice and your own style that you have a journey rather than a hopping and skipping from subject or, or medium and, and not really having the journey to back it up. Yeah, and you can recognise it was all done by that same artist. Yes. You know, that Picasso, you yeah, that's It was better what he did. You can yeah. see it was him. It's that authentic yes. voice. doesn't matter if he was, you know, bending wire or yeah. painting ceramics. You can tell it was from that same artist. Well, I think that's very important for galleries and buyers because they are looking for an artist who is developing and has a story to follow, don't they? You they? think that's what they're looking for? That? I believe it is. I think that they are looking for a consistency and a journey. Yeah. I remember when the first gallery that I had uh, dealings with, I asked, I asked the dealer, I said, I mean, what are you looking for? Mm. You know, because I thought that was really interesting. Mm. And he said, what we're looking for is a commitment to being an artist. And it's that commitment to your, your obsession, your passion. Mm. If you're mm. flitting and all over the place, mm. then they can, I don't, they, 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 there's an insecurity there. There's an uncertainty well, that you're doing. Well, it's not reliable, is it? No. I mean, if you, if you are going to show somebody's work, and show them again in a year's time. You want your customers to be able to see that it is that artist and how they've come on. You don't want yeah. them to come in and say, oh, but that's somebody completely exactly. different, yeah, surely, yeah. is it? Because they're investing time, effort and money into you. You've got to yeah. commit to that. Absolutely. If you flit all over the place, yeah, yeah. they'll just drop you very quickly. So I think it's okay to change uh, medium and um, ways of working, but you need your fascination and your drive to come through consistently whether you change medium or not mm. don't you think you know it should be identified as one artist's work whether it's sculpture or painting or whatever so you can have all these different types of working but it needs to be that one voice yeah i mean if you look at i think uh, many artists sort of working contemporary working artists in, in the sort of the London uh, freeze and contemporary artists are multidisciplinary artists mm. aren't they they're not just mm. a sculptor or a printmaker or an illustrator sometimes no. they can be all of those things at the same time which yes. is sort of fascinating it's very rich which is I think quite an exciting prospect if you are that artist where you have so much, much creativity so. to give you don't have to do it of course mm. but you can still tell it was from that the creation of that same artist it's sort of it's the, the concept and the idea so Sometimes is in that case the thing that comes first, and then the, the yeah. medium is. Well, it's that comes like second. Um, somebody like Grayson Perry. Yeah. You can always see it's Grayson Perry's work, whether it's a print or a textile yeah. or a ceramic. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of and it's the humor, and it's it's sort of him that you see through the work. Yeah, it's you not can see service. his interests, his his passion. Yeah. Um, and on the note of sort of things being passionate about things. It can feel tempting if you have a successful piece to just go on making that successful piece with the idea that you're making to sell. And that's a really bad mistake, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm guilty or have been guilty of it. I where think we all are. Uh, yeah, we have. We've, <laughs> we've produced a picture uh, or a sculpture or a work of art. And we think, oh, that's sold really quickly. I'm going to do another one of it and then yeah. another one of it. And then yeah. suddenly you're doing 20 of them. And then suddenly you're just known as that guy or girl that does just that thing. And suddenly yes. you've, you've really narrowed your, your creative possibilities. And I, not just that. I think people can see if your heart isn't in it. Yeah. and. And it's one of the things that I feel the most important and I feel I make my best work is when I am pushing myself and I'm not comfortable. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. discovering. Yes, there's I that. Think kind if of, you're sitting back on your heels and feeling comfortable, it's going to show. Isn't there's it? that sort of energy. Is it? You know, is yeah. it going to go right? Is it going to go wrong? I'm reading this book um, by Martin Gayford all about uh, Lucian Freud, and Freud said mm. the same sort of thing. I think he feels mm. most alive when he feels like he's painting on the tightrope, where you know he could stumble and fall. It could all go horribly wrong, or it could be an absolute triumph and success. And but that, I think people can genuinely see that. Yeah, I know that my work sells best when I'm doing that, and yeah. I. I I honestly feel that somehow that's that that passion and adventure is communicated to the audience. Yeah, and it's those works of art for me. I mean, I, I call them milestone paintings. Mm. So sometimes I'm you know I'm busy painting away, and, and and then suddenly I produce a work of art where I'm really challenging, pushing, and there's that much yeah. more energy in. And I look at it and go, wow, that's the best thing I've created to date. Mm. And that's set a new bar, a new level. And then I keep churning, 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 churning. And then it might be weeks, months, even a year mm. afterwards. And then I've produced something that's better again still. And I, I kind of, I, I note when those milestone paintings are where something has just clicked or I've understood something yeah. or something's connected and then it makes everything else. It sort of uh, sets the next step and level and stage. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I find that because the way that I work when I'm make a print is that I have an idea and then I make the process work to fit the idea. I don't think, oh, I'm working in lino, what works with lino? It means that I'm constantly edgy because I've got this thing dancing in my head and I want to catch it, which means that I'm pushing the process the whole time. And 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 audience, your your buyers, your collectors, Mm. your fans kind of want to see that development you know they want to kind of yeah. see you grow as an artist yeah. you know the the particularly the ones the people who bought my work very early on mm. you know they're they're excited to see how I'm developing and how the prices are increasing and how you know, the notoriety Absolutely. is building and that's that's kind of yes, part of course they're, completely yeah. part yeah. of it you, you will develop there will be a trace of yeah. your development I mean what I do is um I paint a self-portrait every oh. year and I have done I think since university, so almost 15 years wow. ago. And I mean, it's really, it's a really interesting because I do it from life. Mm. So it's just mm. me and a mirror and I look at myself for hours and hours and hours mm. and it's quite a cathartic experience. It's sort of, mm. it's an opportunity for me to go, this is what I look like. I'm getting older, the hairline's <laughs> receding, the wrinkles are increasing. You're and just so planning for that major retrospective. I am, you? yeah. That's, Can that's you imagine? Yeah. It's just going to be... <laughs> The ego of Peter Keegan, <laughs> me all over the walls. Um, but what what I like to do is I look back at my work and I can see how I'm developing. You know, those first early mm. portraits are kind of some drastically different to the way I paint now. And I can see that narrative, how it's building. And of course, that's what my audience, my my customers have uh, are on that journey with me. I'm not flitting. It's a steady process. And hopefully it's getting better and better as I go. But it's okay to be inspired by other artists along the way, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... For me, I mean, as as a you know a graduate of, of a kind of art school training, mm. we were encouraged to look at how artists, both of the past and, and in present, fact, are try doing their it. Yeah, and, and, and I I to mm. this day encourage artists to copy, you know, copy, see how Monet painted, or have a go uh, at sort of trying a style or, or a technique, because you'll learn a great deal. You know, almost the handwriting of that artist. But Don't pass it off as your yeah. own. Though. I was going to say, it's a pro- world away, though, isn't it, from being derivative and stealing other people's yeah. ideas and things like that, which is really, really bad idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's see it as research, as it's yeah. training, it's artistic development, it's professional development, it's all those sort mm. of words, but it's things that you do behind the scenes. You don't showcase it, you don't show no. it. It no. just deepens your appreciation and understanding and hopefully, therefore, make you a better painter. But analysis is really important as well. Um 
it's like I was saying before, I always looked at my work in terms of what I thought was good and bad and what could develop. But it's important to look at the work. If you're looking at an artist you admire, don't just look at it and think, oh, I like that. Think, why do I like that? Exactly yeah, it's why. that why question. Yeah. Why is it? What is it that makes it good you know, to your eyes yeah um you know I, I get inspired all the time by you know flicking through social media it's wonderful mm. for that thing mm. to seeing all these artists all around the world posting things but it's, it's it's not enough to say i like it it's good why is it good is it the color yes is what it are you learning composite exactly and yeah. then that will potentially inform your own interest your own bias your own practice and way of working and you can kind of forge a bit further on on that well i think i was really lucky as a child growing up because my mum used to take me to galleries when i was quite small mm-hmm. and in an effort to keep me occupied she used to say to me have a look round and choose which one you would steal <laughs> and, and then she'd say right imagine I'm the judge and you're in court and you have to tell me why you felt so passionately that you had to have that picture in the hopes of getting off going to prison so like justify it yeah exactly so what's your defence why was that so <laughs> wonderful that you had to steal it what wonderful morals your mother was teaching I know, you I and know, how old exactly. yeah. uh, probably started when I was about five oh, I don't wow. know but it was a game we used to play and it was a really good one because how, she used to say to me, it's not good enough to say, I just like it yeah, because yeah. I like it. I, you need to come up with why. Well, that's a, that's a great tip for you mummies and daddies out there. If you've got young children, you want to go and see an exhibition, just encourage them to, which ones do you want to take uh, away with you? Which ones are you going to steal? But Yeah, but maybe don't let them take them off the walls. No, no, no. The security <laughs> guards don't like that. No. I mean, I, I think, and I do this to this day, I don't know about you, but I, you know, when I walk around an exhibition with my wife, we'll usually sort of say, well, which is your favourite? Yes. If you had to take yeah, one, or if you had to buy one, which one it would be? And, and do you know what? More often than not, we we pick different pieces, and mm-hmm. then what we end up doing is trying to justify why each yeah. other's is the best and why we yeah. should take this one home. And yeah. more often than not, my wife wins, which is fair enough. I think that says more about my <laughs> my uh, debating and, and language skills. But uh, we need we need two separate rooms. I think a room of my work and a room of her work. Fantastic. But but it keeps you engaged with the work and and you look at it critically. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's to important to to have that analysis. I think so. The artist's voice is a sort of developing thing, isn't it, rather than a changing thing. So what's the difference between that development and that change, do you think? I mean, artists grow their work throughout their career and it's 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 normal to be expected. You shouldn't be static. You shouldn't be mm. dormant. Um, you shouldn't flit too much. There should be this sort of steady growth uh, as you go for your professional development, if you like. Um, I I mean, I continue my own professional development mm. through, I mean, I do life drawing mm. and I don't do life drawing to produce pretty pictures. I do it as a way of training sure. to, to continue to train sure. my eye and to get better and to get better. So going on workshops and courses and, and meeting up with artists is, I think, all very much part of, of developing and, and continue to hone in your style and the way that you work. Well, I would say um, it's it's also possible to have sort of moments of significant change. I mean, I've done a couple of residencies where I went out to Japan to study Japanese woodblock mm. And both the residences that I did marked huge moments of change in my work, first time because I came back with a skill and the second time because it moved my skill forward. So those were great moments of change. But also my lino cut has gradually changed as a consequence because my lino is now much more like Japanese woodblock in Mm. its transparency and layering. But that's been gradual um, in complement to the sort of big, leaps in learning a skill and ex- and executing it when you went to do your residency in japan were you 
expecting or looking to change or to, to no I don't think so I think that that going to Japan was very early in my career and I probably wasn't analyzing um, my development in quite the same way as mm. I do now but it certainly had a profound effect immediately on mm. my work so, I mean, I've got a residency uh, coming up at Ellsbury Waterside Theatre and I am i haven't started yet, but I'm really mm. excited about this, uh, the potential, you know. I don't but you're quite... going to be in the theatre work. Yeah, you, in the theatre, you know, painting and sketching and, and it's such a rich resource, you know, on stage, backstage and the lighting and the textures mm. and the costumes and, and the people and... I mean, gets you out of the studio as well, yeah, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose what I'm looking forward to is I don't know how it's going to affect mm. the way I paint. The one thing I'm going to do, which to push me, to challenge me, to give me that something <laughs> a bit different, is I want to work bigger. I want to work on a slightly bigger scale yeah. than I'm used to. So mm. whether that working on a larger scale changes the way I paint, changes mm-hmm. the how I represent it, I don't know. And I suppose that's part of the fun. I'm curious to see yeah. what happens so and how it does change So this could be a big change, but you're still bringing your consistency yeah. of your voice to that work. Yeah, hopefully when people look at the work, they'll be able to identify that it is me. I'm not going to intentionally paint in a different way because I've got this new project. Mm. I've still got to be authentic to who I am. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. It's just too much like hard work. <laughs> so so that, that that is a very swishy way of moving your style on. But actually, there are lots of ways to experiment and challenge your way of working. Yeah. I mean, there are courses, there are workshops. Yeah, well, I, 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 I thought, let's jump in the deep end for me. Yeah. And I thought, let's try and, and test myself on trying... Uh, a new medium. Mm. So I went and did a workshop where I did a clay head. Oh, wow. Not a painted head. I'm, That's you, really I'm very, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, working it? on a two-dimensional form I was very happy with and obviously the proportions of the head I'm familiar, but then suddenly this paint was no longer 2D, it was 3D. I had this big mm. lump of clay and it was both familiar and alien. I had this, I didn't know what to do with this stuff and how I could translate it in this three-dimensional world, but using something I was very familiar with, you know, the head and the proportions. And I was... Hopeless. In the class. <laughs> yeah. It was clear that I didn't know what I was doing. I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed myself. But that's um, kind of a good thing too, isn't it? Oh, so- I, what I, I mean, what I left. I left with such a deep appreciation and understanding yeah. for sculptors, my yeah. fellow, you know, sculpting colleagues of, of, of kind of what they do and how they do it. You know, yeah. I, I look at a work of uh, sculpture now and have so much more respect yes. and admiration yes. to what goes in behind. But what it also did, it, it clarified and sort of reinstated yeah. what I am good at, yeah. you know, and what it, it highlighted my strengths. Yes. And I learned, you know, I think I learned a little bit uh, from, you know, helping me become so a better painter. So it's that analysis again. Yeah. And I would also say say that it's it's very good to, get some feedback discuss your work um, really sort of try and find out as much as you can about how you're working what other people think mm. you don't have to take no, everything that's, seriously that's, yeah, it's point. just interesting yeah to you don't have to take you know critique and you know we've, we've talked about this before and you, mm. know, you know feedback and kind of developing a thick skin if, if you're going to produce a work of art of mm. course it's going to be seen by people and some are going to love it and maybe some people won't like it mm. You don't have to take critique, but it is interesting to see what people yeah. make of your work and whether that changes the way you do your stuff, then so be it. Maybe it's better the better, but it pays to hear yes. what people think. Other people's opinions as well. So, Peter, what's the takeaway for this week? So you can't fake originality and style. It has to find you working. Remember, an artist's job is to notice things, so be consistent with your own interests and curiosities. Ultimately, it's your obsession as an artist that will keep people engaged. 
Thank you for listening. You can catch up with the stuff we've covered during this episode in our show notes at askanartistpodcast.com. It's a moment to subscribe and then we're all yours. A weekly word in your ear to keep you on the path to art. Hold up.